Hi, Ryan. Hello, Rachel. How you doing? I'm worried. I'm worried, Rachel. Do you want to know why? Sure. You don't know? You don't know why I'm I I I I'm I'm in absolute fear. No. I'm afraid that our yumlings, the people who listen to the Yum Yum podcast, uh, the only podcast that uh, has Yum Yum energy, I'm afraid that they won't be able to hear this episode properly. Why? Well, I don't know how good the sound quality is going to be with this, because we have, for the, for this one, we're recording it specially, we've shoved the microphones up our butts... And I don't know how great it is going to be. We've cranked them up 100% volume, so you may be able to hear my lunch, uh, what I had for lunch, but I don't know if it's going to be uh, peak podcasting audio. So we'll we'll just have to get the yumlings. Let us know. Hit us up on the social medias or our email, all of which is in the description, if this episode sounds any good. And if it does, we'll make sure to shove the microphones up our butts in future episodes. Uh, so we'll just have to wing it from here. Rachel, we are Yum Yum Podcast because of what reason? Because of a line that was offered to us in the television experience that is Star Trek Discovery. That's a great way to describe it. It wasn't just a moment. It wasn't just a line, but an experience. An experience that enraptured us, changed us. You know how you hear about people who go to prison and they find God? They find Jesus and a a, a religious awakening happens to them? Hell, that happens to one of the main characters in Babylon 5 to a certain extent uh, a few episodes from now. That's what Yum Yum was, where we were in the prison of Star Trek Discovery episodes, and then we found Yum Yum, so we named ourselves after it, and we rewatch episodes of science fiction TV. Star Trek Discovery has been covered in the past, we are going through Babylon 5 currently, which means spoilers are abound for the entire thing, because we are looking at it from the perspective of the rewatch, so we are going to discuss it in in relation to the whole. Uh, But Rachel, 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 are we still in season three? Yes. We only just started season three. We've only just started? Wow, season three is so welcoming because I feel like I've been here for a little while. We are up to episode two of season three, known as Convictions. Uh, And do you want to hear what the DVD description has to say? I heard it last week, but I would love to hear it again from you. Okay, well, you already heard it last episode, so it's not going to be as enthralling for you, but for first-time listeners out there, first, first-time first yumlings, here it goes. A series of terrorist bombings sends waves of fear through the station and sets in motion speculation about the bombers' political motives. Speculation that proves false when a manhunt turns up the real culprit. On the next Babylon 5, a mad bomber with a vengeance. There's no telling where the next bombing's going to happen. Terrorizes the station. You'll probably die here. Now, Sheridan must locate the killer. Do whatever you have to do. But I want this stopped. Before the next blast. Do you understand fear? On the next. It's the death! Babylon 5. 
Convictions, episode two. Uh, there's a lot of moving pieces here. A lot of things are going on. A lot of characters, new and old. One scene wonders, in fact. If I have to praise this for anything, it's you get a lot of one scene wonders. Or even just minor plays, like one episode wonders here. So it makes it really difficult to lock in who would have said yum yum in this one. Who had YYE? Uh, Rachel? Is there anyone leaping out to you? A new character, an old character, a mainstay, a guest star? Yum yum energy. Obnoxious man. Played by John C. Flynn III, the DP of Babylon mm-hmm. 5. What made you go with him? Is it just because he's a talkative guy? Yeah, but he has YYE by the bucket load. He has a possibly ex-wife called Sheila. Oh, yeah, 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 which is well-known to us. They had an argument and he left the planet. Yeah, you, you, you bring up compelling points. He was in my list as well. I, I mean, it's kind of hard to go past him, but Jakar had YYE. Just want to shout out Jakar if we're going to go main cast members. He would be the guy. Yes. He was having a ball. He would have said yum yum after singing his little fishy song. Uh, Londo and me, yum yum. Uh, so he's, uh, I agree, Obnoxious Man is uh, my winner. There was, uh, uh, there was a few other little guest stars. I mean, mm-hmm. Brother Theo was definitely had, not YYE, but YYS, yum yum swagger. He swaggered with a yum-yum, but I don't think he would have said it out loud. He but he did, said it with his eyes. He didn't He didn't need to say it. He had it with the shush. Convictions. Where are you with this? Tell us your story, your journey, your history and relationship with convictions. I forget about the rest of this episode and only ever really think about Londo and Jakar stuck in an elevator. It's very memorable. I always forget how little of the episode it is. But there are some of the longer scenes. But, like, one of them is, like, less than 30 seconds as well. Oh, but it's memorable. It's memorable distinct. It's important. It's important. I love it. I love it. I love that part of it so much. And then I'm always like, oh, and the there's a bomber. That's the reason why that happens, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Babylon 5 does terrorism again. Oh, the Unabomber was a big thing at the time. Yeah. So let's work it into yeah. our script. Yeah. It has that distinct 90s feel yeah oh so like, oh we're gonna carve this into it uh so forgettable is kind of the term leaping to my mind with what you're saying where yeah. you remember this one aspect but the rest of it is not sticking in the brain yes so would you say it's a bad episode no it's a solid episode it's serviceable but it just isn't that unique. That's a great way to describe it. It's not that unique. I've never been a big lover of convictions. It has just been an episode. It reminds me 
as a better episode, like this is a better version of a season one episode, Survivors, where there was a bomb plot and that as well, but that one sucked. This is serviceable. It gets the job done. It moves the pieces along. Great character work. Great acting. Uh, but it has never stuck out to me either. Um, not even as a bad episode. Just as like, oh, this is an episode that's in Babylon 5. There's a mad bomber. I am also of the same opinion where what you remember is Londo and Jakar stuck in an elevator. The other thing that I do strongly remember from this, and this is why it pushes it a, a higher notch as well, is the emotional reaction it gets out of me between Lanier and Londo the 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 fact that Lanier was willing to sacrifice himself to save Londo because he believes all life is sacred, and then Londo trying to get him out of the coma by talking to him and being there, but it's this awkward bond because they're friends. They're, it's very melancholic and bittersweet. They're friends, but they never were really friends. No. And Londo has gone past the realm of being redeemed in the eyes of um, other people. Yeah. And there's also that melancholy of Londo, the character, is trying to be the fun guy we used to know. And it's a, it's him trying to be that, but he's no longer that guy. He's no longer the guy that cheats at poker with his penises. He's, he's no longer the guy that goes burdened. on adventures. Yeah. And you get that immediately when he leaves Linnea and he's confronted by the face of his victim basically yeah. the Jukar, the, uh, the representative of the entirety of the Nan, looking at him and he's stuck in that elevator and we get funny stuff of course but that moment where they stare at each other reminds you intensely that that fun Londo that we've known is no longer really around it's this Londo the guy who has somebody who he's oppressing uh, and that's liberating his... well they're liberating them <laughs> yes yes uh, and so Convictions is a bit of a mixed bag for me, where we have the main plot, which is one that never really sticks out, not in a bad or good way, but just never sticks out, but the things that it brings us the sticks out. The character moments. Yes. The plot is meh, but the character is mwah. How many centauri does it take to um, screw in a light bulb? Just one. But in the great old days of the Republic, hundreds of servants would change a thousand light bulbs at our slightest whim. <laughs> well, I guess you had to be there. I'm going to take a break now and wait for you to talk. And if you don't, I will just start talking again. We wouldn't want that now, would we? Brother Theo is introduced in this episode. And he's complete. He's very well realised in just, the performance. He's at least. a complete character. Yes, yes, I would I would say that. Uh, and it does not take that long. No. So do you want to walk us through uh, Brother Theo, give us the rundown of his deal and uh, how they implement him here? Brother Theo is part of a religious organization. Known that as the Catholic Church. Wants to set up base on Babylon 5. 
so they can learn the faces and names of God in alien worlds, in alien tongues. Yeah. So that they can better know the figure behind those gods, the one true God. Because now that we've reached out to the stars, and especially after this event on Babylon 5 at the end of season 2, although there's many differences, there are a lot of common points of reference to religions throughout this universe. And so they want to know what this is. They want to find out, in a way, who is making the mythos? Who is God? And we know who it is. It's Kosh. Um, it's the Volons. The Volons manipulating stuff, which is a very interesting angle to look at this whole yes. thing with Brother Theo at. Because from the start, we know that it's the Volons. But he doesn't know that. No, no, and Vonova doesn't fully know that either. No, it's mainly just Sheridan and Delenn at yeah. this point. Which makes it interesting that Ivanova is the one that has the meaning with Brother Theo. <laughs> and because it, it's just like, yeah, it makes sense for her. It adds comedy because it's Ivanova. We know um that she's Jewish. Yeah, I was going to say this episode has a joke in it. This episode has a lot of jokes in it, like yeah. joke jokes told. And one of them is uh, <laughs> a, a Jew, an agnostic, and a monk try to solve a bombing. That is the plot of this yes. loosely, is is that. Yep. And I do adore that. <laughs> I do adore that very it's much. It's great. So. It's great. But it's just like, yes, this makes sense that it's Ivanova, um, not Sheridan. Oh, no. Sher Sheridan would give too much away. But you know why it also makes sense? Why? Think back a bit, right? Oh, because Sheridan doesn't like doing his job, so he gets a Vonover to do his job all the fucking agree. time. Yeah, 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 Admin yeah. yeah. work is a Vonover's job now. So with Brother Theo, in this episode, they implement him and his uh, all of his monks to help solve the, the bombing. friary? Yeah, and um, the, the monastery. No, uh, they are a group of many different people with high-level skills. And Ivanova, there's this brilliant moment where uh, the back and forth between her and Theo I really enjoyed, where he's listing off all these amazing experts I of these the wonderful different... that. Yeah, the timing's great, the delivery is, is amazing. And he's listing off engineers and scientists. Like and they're all experts They're in all their amazing. Field. And Ivanova questions then, well, why would they be doing this? Why would they come here? And it's because they believe Ivanova. And that 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 was nice. And Just shuts it down. It, because she's, she's, she's somebody who believes. Yeah. Uh, we've had this conversation with her before with her and Dr. Franklin. So it worked. It was a nice moment. But... Brother Theo, that's what he serves in this. But in the grander narrative, he's a he's a byproduct and result of what Kosh did. Which yes. I think is really great because it is saying that Kosh doing that is important. Not just because it's important to us, the viewer, that we finally got a mystery revealed, but that said mystery revealed has consequences. Galactic-wide 
consequences. The shadows know, the Volons know what he did. Everybody kind of knows the, what the he did. The humans have been impacted, the drowsy yeah. are rocking up and poking Zach. And it sets the groundwork for Babylon 5 going above just being a station to a place of holiness, which will then in season four be amplified by the fact that Sheridan returns from the dead and it goes on and on and on to where we get to in deconstruction of falling stars where they've become biblical figures in their own right. So it's laying this nice groundwork by having Brother Theo and the Drazi at the beginning coming in as these religious people uh, who are now drawn to Babylon 5 because of this appearance of an angel. Um, I was not a fan of Brother Theo on my first watch, especially in this episode, because I wrestle with this, and I still wrestle with it now, and I'd love to hear your opinion of this. I don't mind the character, I don't even mind the idea, it's the actual execution of them in stories. So, yeah. for instance, I struggle very much so to see a room full of hooded monks who speak old-timey like Brother Theo does, smashing at keyboards, doing hacking and tech, and looking at cameras, and being all like, shh, like they're in a library. And I just, I kind of roll my eyes a little and go, this is a degree too far into silly territory for me. Oh, okay. What do you think? Where are you at? It's silly, but I go with the silliness. I'm like, okay, this makes sense that, you know... Religious organizations would also need to evolve eventually. Yeah. Um I'm yeah, you're right. I'm not against that. It's just the visual of it of these monks in their full I'm like, ah, it's quirk. In their full dark ages robes with their crosses and all of that. Hitting keyboards and zooming in and I guess they don't I guess, shave I guess, their heads into that No, I laugh though. specific haircut. No, they don't have the little skull thing at the back. No, no, they're not. They're not. They're, 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 yeah, they're not friars, are they? Um, I, I don't know. They're just, brothers. They're brothers. I just, I struggle with it because I shouldn't find it silly. Because what you say is true. Religion evolves even through technology, and we've seen that very much so, especially with huge organizations like Catholicism. I mean, there are hip priests that are with it and on social media and all Pandemic that. changed a lot of things too. That changed a lot of things, but I just I just can't help but giggle. It just doesn't sit right with you. That's fine. And I don't know if it's supposed to be silly and funny. That's the thing. Do you think it's supposed to be? I think a lot of it's meant to be funny. That shush moment's meant to be funny. Yeah, that shush moment is meant to be funny, but like... This is the first episode to show us how these monks will now be in stories. And it is inherently, to me, silly. And as a first-time viewer, when I first-time viewed it, I worried, oh my god, now we've got this stupid monk thing and they're going to have monks solving crimes in episodes? Yeah, I worried. I I gritted my teeth at that. that. And I'm like, "Mm -hmm. okay, I don't trust this. Uh... They look at Brother Theo favorably in this, but they don't necessarily look at the Drazi favorably. Uh, how do you feel? What do you what? How do you feel about that? Because we have the opening scene where the Drazi are stupid, dumb people who are being mocked 
by security for their religious beliefs and they're poking Zack because they think he's religious. Now, this is all funny. I find it very amusing, but it's treated as, oh, these silly religious people I are here. I annoyed at that on this viewing. Like, because, like, everybody is doing it. And I'm like, they just want to, like, show them a little respect. But they fight over colours. Yeah. But Joshala. Joshala, and none of them can get his name right. Yes. Yeah, it, it is. It like, is. it's just, it's, it was a bit too thick for me today. I loved Zach, though. Zach is here. He's in the opening credits, as we've mentioned. He's got only a little bit to do here, but uh, Jeff Conway was great. I thought he nailed the comedic timing of them poking him and his reaction and... Uh, again, this episode is really great at pacing and timing. Uh, they, they they really got it to a fine clockwork precision in this one. And look, I, I find it fun. I still found it funny when they poked the, the plant and then they looked up to the heavens and Zach's just looking at them onwards being like, oh, God. But it is that funny thing where we've been shown that religions are... Uh, tolerated by this series they are accepted we accept that religion exists but then also we have the drazi as like look at these dumb people and their dumb religion and we should laugh at them because we know it's kosh but then we have the monks come in it's like hey guys it's it's a human religion you know this and so we should respect it. But then but then they, they go, get to be treated with dignity. They get to be treated with dignity and respect and honor. And with high-level clearance to Avonova, right? Uh, because they're humans. And, and and then they turn around and give them a silly, like, here's a room full of monks watching TV screens. See, that's what I mean. It's just such it a... It it both ways. There's a dissonance there. There's a dissonance for me, at least. Um, but I, I, I enjoy Brother Theo as a character. I loved his dialogue in general and the actor we've talked about many times in the past nails it he 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 perfectly embodies it with that right amount of snootiness without pushing it over to being like pomposity without pushing it over to being a a hate-filled depiction of a religious figure because that happens a lot where you get an actor to play up a priest or a monk or bishop or whatever to be very pompous and in turn you don't like them and then in turn you think that the religion they represent is 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 stupid or, or, or invalid because you have this tyrannical person or this silly person, but he 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 manages the levels just right where I wouldn't want to talk to him for very long in real life, but he has interesting things to say. The Bible says that even the smallest sparrow does not fall without God seeing it. But then of all these other races on distant worlds, would he abandon them or reveal himself in some other way? God goes by many names, perhaps some are alien sounding, different faces and histories, but all describing the same creator. We've come here to learn all those names. For the gamers out there, there's an interesting guest star for this one as our new bomb expert security person that they treat with this amount of reverence. It is the guy from the Mortal Kombat uh, film, and he says he the thing... He is also in Tekken. 
Is he in Tekken? I'm pretty sure it said that he was in Tekken. Oh my god, did he cross over to both Tekken and Mortal Kombat? Was he Heihachi? Mortal Kombat is the thing that most people know him for. He's in a ton of stuff. He says the infamous line from from Mortal Kombat. Fatality. Can we just talk about this guy for a second? Now, you, you, you and I, when just finishing watching the episode, uh, started to kind of pick apart him because... We know who the actor is, so we we're kind of looking at this character a little bit more. So, do you kind of want to guide us through what was going on here with our new bomb expert security man? He gets name dropped, and even though I have watched this several times, I was still thinking, he dies, right? He dies, right? Like, they're setting him up like... He was about to go on holiday. He was about to go on holiday. They know they know him clearly, and we don't. Is he the new Kef? Fuck. <sighs> it's always a worry, guys. It's always a concern when they have a new best friend that we've never heard about before. Yeah. Yes. But it's he's, just like... He's no oh. Lou. He's no Lou. R.I.P. Lou. He ate too much cake and couldn't come back. But you were going to say he's this new guy that they treat with reverence and respect. And it's like, hey. Like he's always been part of the crew. And it's just like, oh, he's going to be the one that doesn't make it. Like the bomb. They get it out. But he's the last one holding on to it. But he doesn't even get that. Yeah, if at best he would be the the like they have the expert who's given the bomb exposition and the meetings because in many shows you have that where they bring in the expert for the episode and it shows our Babylon character. Five does that with other things, right? Right. The and... political attaché, or even um, doctors. We have other yes. doctor characters come in and out of Babylon Five that do this for for uh, Franklin, like uh, Doctor Lazarin, where he knows about Marco biology, and then we have him back and forth thing, and he's the main uh, major character in the episode. But here you have this bomb expert guy. You're assuming what you're talking about, or what I'm talking about, which is he's the guy that details out how bombs work, how the mythology of bombs but no, work. And Garibaldi does that. Garibaldi does. Everything relating to the bomb stuff. He knows how it works. He knows who the guy is. He knows where the guy is. He knows what kind of things. And he makes the calls on, like, get rid of the bomb here. I don't think he knows about vibration things. And da 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 da. And the guy, this, this, this recognizable face, he's just there to agree or say, are you sure? And he looks dang sexy doing it. He's a very striking guy. He's got the ponytail. He's got this this grizzled face. He, they've got a recognizable man to play a nothing part. And I'm curious of what was supposed to be happening here because I'm spitballing. I don't know the background of this, but he comes across as a ghost to me in terms of he was once important in a draft of the script, but over time his character got reduced and hollowed out and he's just this remnant of an idea of yesteryear of a previous script who somehow remained. See, my working theory was it was a bigger guest spot and then they, when they were kind of trying to condense things down or... Uh, a scheduling conflict 
Right. Maybe made it like, oh, no, we don't need that much. Is it just they needed to create a character that viably could understand what Garibaldi would be saying in any scene? Because no character that we know reasonably, I guess. I don't know. I think that's a bit of a stretch even to say, but... He, I guess play Gar- it off as Zach, no use. Why can't it just be Zach throughout this whole thing? A familiar face, a familiar character, and a guy who's now in the opening credits, you give him something to do in the yeah, episode. He just gets poked instead. And he has to take care of this while they take care of the bomb stuff. Like, he has to take... They even set it up like, oh, you got to take care of Brother Theo, but then that goes to Ivanova. It's just such a bizarre thing to me here. It was just... It jumped out to both of us. I mean... Why did it jump out? Because it's, to me, it's... It's not slick, and we expect slick. It's because they gave us weirdly too much information on the guy and too much focus on him for him to then, in the end, not be anything. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the second episode in. Like, I guess it's because all of these textual clues are leading us to a conclusion. The editing, the script, the casting, the performance, all lead us to make these conclusions that he's going to be important. And in one way or another, either he's going to, like, you know, stick around, Mm -hmm. be more important in the episode and just be in this one, or die. Right. He does none of those. So it's just weird. Yeah, since he doesn't come back, there seems to be no real clear purpose for his existence in this. It's like, oh, well, of course Babylon 5 has its own bomb squad. We knew this from from the, the bomb episode with Garibaldi in season yeah. one. But we didn't meet a guy and then they said, like, here's this guy, he's a day away from retirement, but, well, we... Dra-. No, they just let us know they exist. We didn't need to see them. I guess this episode, we need to see them. I don't know. It, just, it was just it's a like, peculiar yes, thing. It's like, yes, you are building out the world, but do you need... Do you need this? I don't think we need this. They don't give this much detail to that doctor lady who hates Londo. We just got her quick scene, her attitude, and I remember her very much at the end of this as a as a doctor or, or a nurse who, who didn't like Londo and told him not to touch things. They didn't tell us all of this stuff and have camera focusing on her in a way and cast a recognizable actress straight off the bat for me to go, hey, they must be... No. No, but it doesn't drag down the episode. Like this isn't like a a, a a big sticking point. It was just a peculiar thing to to see on the on the revisit because it just doesn't feel right to where JMS is at at this point in his writing no. for for the series. And I and I and I would love to know what the goal was because at this point in time, I don't really understand it outside of it's so somebody can listen to what Garibaldi has to say. And he's had many face, you know, nameless and faceless guards and security people be that without this level of weird definition to them. Yes. Heck, that's how Lou started out. 
Lou was just a guy, but we loved him instantly because he was a very weird, like a very specific looking guy, like a bold, schlubby guy, and his name was Lou. And you looked at him and went, yeah, that's a Lou, and then we just kept seeing him. This guy we never see again, so it doesn't really matter. Bum. Bum. Because my vacation. One week off in two years. I was behind this. really haunt me off now. Okay, listen up. I want this whole area sealed off. Security personnel only. Tell the environmental cleanup crew that they can wait. Do what you can to reconstruct this thing. Will do. Be good. I'll tell the captain. He ain't gonna like this. Babylon 5 gets its own Unabomber in this episode. We are not the first people to make that joke because it's not a joke. It's just a statement. Like C4. Yeah. Yeah. So we got a mad bomber on B5. We've got a mad bomber. uh, Like his wife left him and he got kicked out of his apartment. Don't forget he lost his job. And he's angry with the world. It's not fair, Rachel, but it wasn't personal. That's just the way of... It's just the times. It's just the times. Uh, are we not a fan? I'm not a fan. Mm. It's fine enough. But I'm like, I don't know what you would change to make it better. I just don't... I'm like, I just don't like it that much. Well, let's rewind and go to the bombings themselves. To give the episode some major credit, I thought all of the bombings were very, very scary. Mm. Very impactful. I I agree. Like, the mix of some CG shots. With real explosives and real sets. and And I'm like, yes, this is the merging of things that I love. Because you have the realistic element that grounds it. And the CG, that makes it extraordinary in a way. And the atmosphere that is created because of the bombings is palpable. Even though there's no reason necessarily for it, you feel the sweat that everybody has. Everybody looks the like they're sweating. The direction in this episode is extraordinary mm. for that. Because they use some unusual framing and shots, like very close that you don't, you're not used to in Babylon Five, and a, a very orange and yellow tinting to this. Lots of reds, yellows, and orange lighting here. Even in normal uh, scenes in in chambers or in hallways. There's this definite air of this is a different feel. This is kind of grittier and less pleasant. And I, I, I thought they did a, 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 a like yeah. they nailed it in terms of getting you in the headspace that the show is telling you everybody's at. Because this is one of those where they tell you that the station's afraid, but we aren't seeing the people because they're all secluded away and we're only focusing on our main characters. So the direction and the editing and the acting have to do a lot of heavy lifting because they aren't actually showing you yes. all of the fear. They're showing you some quick shots of people being scuttled away from the park, but you need 
Garibaldi to be tense, you need Sheridan to be furious, you need all of that, as well as just what we're saying, this this marvellous direction. This is a classic example to me of a TV show where the script is okay, but the direction elevates it so much more. Yeah, and I think the direction really helps prop up the acting in this. I don't think in other hands the acting would have been this good. Oh, I I, I understand where you're coming at with that as well, because there's lots of movement to it. They're doing a lot of walking and talking. They're really utilizing the space of Babylon 5 to then also remind you that Babylon 5 is a is a physical and tangible yeah. thing that can be destroyed, exploded, uh, torn apart. Things can collapse and kill you in the vacuum of space. They have these uh, shots where they're walking around stairwells that we have that we don't often see them walk along, or we get a shot of them underneath a, a staircase and we see a glass floor, so we can see them walking across. And there's just a lot of people walking down corridors to then turn and then go up some stairs and then turn again. And Jakar has to run past this pillar to get back to Garibaldi. And we get a lot of interesting uses of the new war room set or the conference room thing with the table where we get the camera panning from the floor up and we go yep. at the back of a just a normal chair, but the chair's like this silver chair. So it like stands out because the camera's so close to it to then just pan up to of Oliver and Brother Theo just chatting. But you've had all of this close-up and momentum through the camera movements and the shot compositions that even a scene of Brother Theo and Ivanova talking has a, a little mm-hmm. sense of dread yep. pinning it. I kept on thinking throughout this episode, There, it really matters this is a visual like, they're making the most out of the medium that they have in all of the ways. Like, the production of this episode is so on point. Post-bombings, the, the, the places they visit, you can tell that there's multiple uses of film and digital trickery at work, but... It looks it looks wonderful. I it reminded me of old school German expressionist films where they have jagged angles and shadowing and people walking in on, on things in a way where it just doesn't look real but you know it's real. You know that's a set. You know they're standing there. There's people below. There's this harsh and sharp lighting on things. I I actually my favorite shot in the episode, if we're going to talk about uh, the direction and and the look of this, I really liked when we were in the, the first bombing site and we were first going in there and we were seeing where Garibaldi was and he's, uh, he's you know, he's squatting mm-hmm. and, we're, and we're seeing the camera go towards him. But before the camera can even go towards him, uh, 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 a cr- like a little crane or people are lifting up this big jagged piece of debris and it, it goes right in front of the camera. Like the camera is uh, uh, dollying in on Garibaldi whilst also going towards this big piece of debris that's being lifted and just the timing of it, the fluidity of it, the, the lack of the camera shadow getting on it and n- it not hitting anything and it was just even that gave me a little bit of pause to go oh. just just that 
And mm-hmm. and it was a nice way of introducing where Garibaldi was in the scene instead of the traditional shot of, oh, there he is, just standing over there. And the character walks over to him and says, hey, Garibaldi, what's There's going on? There's more to it. They are really experimenting and, and, and getting uh, to grips with how can we make scenes more dynamic? Because in the medium of television, especially of this variety, you can get comfortable and just... Scene, bam, 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 bam. They just walk in and they're just sitting there. There was even a moment where, uh, I don't know if you, you you caught this, but they had a meeting in the uh, uh, that new chamber that they have with the where they, where they have their little war meetings. Yeah, yeah. And Ivanova is like, you know, Garibaldi and Sheridan are standing and Ivanova's just got like, she's sitting on the arm of one of those silver chairs with her foot up. Mm. on the table and I just was like this is an interesting way of playing this because it's just showing that things are still casual yeah one of us just just sitting down it's Mm -hmm. it's like it's not the most flashy thing but it was better than just they're all standing there one sitting Mm -hmm. just just something a bit different also shows how it's like they're yellow alert right like it's a serious situation and they've got everybody working on it it's top priority. But not everything shuts down mm. the way that it had to shut down in the plague episode. Right, yeah. Both very serious situations dealt with in very different ways. We often talked about this in season one and early days of season two, where episodes would either succeed or fail at implementing the political angle into it because this is a space politics show where most of our characters are political figures. But sometimes you have plots where there's no real relevance for them to be there. But there would be those beautiful gems like Believers where they would determine a way to make it have the political characters and use them in that fashion where in that one it was the parents going around to each one of them asking them to help them and each ambassador shut them down in their own way and for their own reasons for their own reasons and i was thinking about that here because you could just make this a bomber plot and that's it it's just a bomber plot but you have londo and jakar playing political chess with it. Yep. Yep, we get those back-to-back scenes. It's like, it's the Centauri! And I love the blocking that they give Jakar in that scene of him chasing around Garibaldi. And Garibaldi is not even trying to lose Jakar that <laughs> he's so excited he's like a cat with a laser pointer yeah Jakar yeah 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 uh what do you I mean uh, well let's talk about the Jakar one first it's the classic Jakar where in, in both the Jakar and Londo demonstrate how they've changed and how they haven't because Jakar is very much season one Jakar where he's shouting to the rooftops that it's the Centauri and they're going to fuck you over and you humans are being stupid, not listening to me. Yep. 
He's grown, yet he's still so much where he's at. Where even a, a bombing, where people's lives have been taken, he still finds a way to wiggle it into some agenda. But it isn't just that he's move, moving in that direction. It's everything in his being tells him that. Well, yeah. he's a- He believes that with his whole heart that evil things must be because of the centauri Mm. they are behind everything awful that happens so it has to be them yeah uh but to to lean into it though as well it is played for comedy with him there's a little yes. bit of humor to it. So there is a bit of a, a, a laugh at Ojakar and his narrow-mindedness and his way of trying to play this off as a jab at the Centauri. It has it both ways and in, in a good fashion. And then we cut to Londo, and it shows us that... Uh, and he doesn't have to go to Garibaldi. He gets the, he gets he the main lot. He goes to, straight to the top. I love the uh, the way they demonstrated to where, where Jakar is having to like run down Garibaldi in a public place, screaming at the top of his lungs, while Londo, well, you guys have signed a non-aggression pact with me and have to meet with me yes, whenever, whenever I, I want. want you to. So sit down they and uh, listen to me. They, they don't spell that out for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You see that. You feel that. The distinct difference in the power that they each have now mm. and how Londo is weirdly sort of rejecting his power. Oh, but relishing it through, too. By, like, through the ease that he has in that scene of like, well, yeah, I don't have to try. This comes easy now. I don't need to grasp for more power. But yeah. Jakar is trying so hard to get any shred of power back. The acting from Bruce Boxleitner in that scene with Londo is classic. Sheridan. He wants to tell Londo to fuck off. But he has to bite his tongue. So fucking bad. He has to bite his tongue. So fucking bad. And it's beautiful. And clench his jaw it's and accept beautiful. it and tell him in a calm and patient manner that you should go fuck yourself, Londo. He has to say it in a very politically wise fashion. While with Garibaldi and Jakar, Garibaldi doesn't need to do that. Garibaldi's just like, eh, whatever. It's not them. You're being stupid. And then just kind of leave Jakar in the dust. They aren't afforded that ability with Londo. They have to play nice. Yes. Even though they despise him, they loathe him, they are disgusted by him, and they tell him as much, and that they would hope that somebody would not take these tragic events and use it as a springboard for their own political gains. Mm-hmm. And Londo's Mr. Well, there's nothing political about the truth. Oh, Londo. Such a lie. I love all of this. All of this is 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 meticulous, and 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 the threats the character of character moments. But it's not just character moments, but all of the the, the direction and, and and tension. It it you you feel cohesive. The air is thick in this episode, but then we get to the Mad Bomber himself, and that's where all of that goodwill is flushed down the toilet for me because. 
we get to silly territory, where Sheridan's having to shove his badge up his butt, and the bomber doesn't even give him a, a proper inspection to make sure he doesn't have a link. So you're thinking, why didn't he just put in his put his link in his pocket? You know, like there's a lot of that, and the Mad Bomber's performance. We'll get to it in our spotlight, but. It's very much a different gear to where everybody else has been in the episode. And so it's like that could play better. And uh, it doesn't. Well, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about him in a little bit because I, I, I think he does some interesting work. But then we just have to, because this is the nature of the beast, isn't it? We have to find out why the guy's bombing. And it's just a big monologue of exposition and l- this crap about this one guy that we're not really going to spend any time with after this scene is over. Because realistically, like, really, it's one big scene. We may intercut to other things, but it's really one big confrontation. And I would rather have had, in the episode, they had figured out along the way who this guy was and some of his motivations and then we meet him and take him down but they that being dripped through a little bit earlier right because as it is we have all this tension and then it all leads to a big bitch ex-wife and my boss, and I lost my apartment, and isn't capitalism bad? And you know what? I'm an agent of chaos, and we know chaos people is one of the big themes of Babylon 5, so we could talk about the Mad Bomber in relation to that overall thing, but realistically... He has a reason to exist. He has a reason Not to exist. Not arguing that part. We argue about how well is that executed. Right, and... There's, uh, 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 like, I do appreciate that they gave him an, uh, a clearly defined um, reasoning for why he's doing it. And it's not just because his wife left him, he lost his job, but there is, he is uh, uh, this person who's been stomped on because of the times. And, and we was know... predisposed to this sort of thing. Yes, yes. And the atmosphere we know of Earth, an Earth culture. It's like, oh, fucking course. Of, fucking course. Of course it would lead to people like this. And then that makes you think about the real world. So we bring up the Unabomber. There's many other people that you could point to as well that's inspiration for this. But that is, a, I think, a huge thrust of it is to make you think about the real world, about how... There are people like this that get pushed to this brink. And how do you feel about that? How do you feel about how our society can help lead to people like this? Do you take how much accountability? Ignore them Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. Nobody stops to take care of these people. And it's interesting that, you know, the first attack is in down below. Mm-hmm. And we see a number of lurkers get blown to fucking shreds. Right. And they're in the same position of, like, being down on their luck. As he, as he is. 
he's actually in a better position than them because yeah. he managed to get another engineering job off world. Yeah, but he those people are scrounging around for something to sell. Right, but he's he's too blind to see that. Yeah, because he wants to destroy as he's been destroyed. He wants to punish people. Yeah, but the social commentary, obviously coming from whose responsibility is it to stop people like this? Should it be somebody's responsibility to stop him from getting to this point? And in nine in the nineties and in nineties media, I, uh, uh, Falling Down comes to mind, for instance, as a as a film of comparison. There are these people like him, these mild-mannered guys who live the so-called life where they have the wife and they have the place they live and they have the job. And then for one reason or another, those things go away and these people, in this case, this mad bomber guy and in falling Both down, Michael Douglas... have anger issues yeah, underlying and, 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 things Anger issues, well. government jobs or government contracted jobs. They wear glasses. They're kind of... These people who feel entitled to let loose and punish others because it doesn't matter anymore. Nothing matters. Nothing makes sense. The dream failed me. The times have changed and I do not like that. So I am going to punish everybody because of that. There was a definite sentiment about characters of this nature during this time period so he doesn't stand out as peculiar of a character but in this series it is it isn't that peculiar either because we've had other ones but they've found organizations and causes in a more militarized or fascist way hence they bring up the home guard Hence, they bring up all of these Earth First groups of this guy could be a part of, but yeah. that's the thing. He's not politically no. motivated. He's not motivated through a fascist agenda. He is uh, He is a guy who's been... Uh, feels... Kicked down one kicked too down many times. One too many so times. he's like, I'm going to destroy everybody. He wants to be awesome. noticed. He considers himself an artist, which I... Just having played Metal Gear Solid 2 with his mad bomber guy as well, who also considers himself an artist. I'm a little sick of that as well. Uh, okay, guys, bombers, you're not artists, okay? Right? Just just move past it, all right? If this guy, Rachel... Now, now, if this character was like the fat man in Metal Gear Solid 2, a fat, bold guy with a big jacket on roller skates flinging himself about while drinking champagne, would it be better? Did you seriously just ask me that? Yes. Life is short. Bombs tell the time with every moment of their existence, and nothing else announces its own end with such a fanfare. Glad you could make it. The party's about to start. Linnea has a subplot too. Can we talk about that instead of what you were just making me <sighs> If we must, Rachel, so what is our good dear friend Lanier up to? He saved Londo. Oh, yeah. So um, Londo and Delenn are both coming off transports. Oh, and what's Lanier been doing? Uh, Lanier has been chilling in the 
waiting area. Mm-hmm. And he lies. He lies. Seminbaris do lie. Not just a safe face, but he'll he'll pay penance for it. Uh, I like this. It's a cute moment. They're really giving Bill Moomy a lot more to do this season. Uh, I I don't know what it is, but season two, he didn't get as much to do. He had more a lot more reactions to things than actual things to do. Uh, here, there's, we're two episodes in, and we, we've really noticed Bill Moomy getting to really chew it up. And uh, I don't know if he, he asked them, like, hey, guys, can we, can we give me more? Uh, 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 you know, do you know who I am? I was in Lost in Space. <laughs> I haven't had much to do since I played poker with Londo, and that was season one. Can you give me more to do? I mean, one of the last big things I got to do was drink with Stephen first. That was pretty cool. But, like, can we give me more? They've really bang banged these two first episodes. They've given Lanier a lot to do, and I'm looking through the next few we're going to cover. There's more Lanier time to come. But I like this. I thought it was very funny. I like it a lot. Where the annoying man, played by John C. Flynn III, the DP, obnoxious man, is just talking, uh, uh, like, absolute bullshit nonsense like just just small talk just overly loud and just talk about his wife and his problems and he's got a medallion I on I read and... him as drunk I just think he's annoying like obnoxious I just oh. think he's a guy that's like because here's the thing I've met these guys yes. they love to talk to me I'm Lanier they love to talk to me yes. where they don't need to be drunk they just need to be like you looked at me now I talk to you uh, and that's all you need. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. It was just amusing. Lanier lying about having Netter's syndrome, which is the name of one of the producers. Uh, so I don't know how Doug Netter feels about having a, a syndrome named after him in Babylon Five, but I'm I'm sure he would be proud. Uh, I think Copeland got something named after him last season as well, or coming up. But uh, yeah. So Delenn comes through. Hey, what do you think she was up to? She just come back from Mimba? Do you think she was up to much? I think she was visiting the Rangers. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. That's where Marcus was in this episode? Yeah. She went to go visit Marcus to uh-huh. see how they're, how they're handling? Uh-huh. Where was Londo? He was on, he was coming with her. Where do you think he was at? No, like, it was, I, I guess he was on a, obviously on a different transport. Yeah, well, what do you think he was up to? Do you think he was coming back, hanging out with his pal Reefer? Yep. Oh, yeah? Yep. Playing playing sword fights? He was teaching Reefer how to sword fight? No, I think... No, Reefer. This is how you do it. You just won't back down from the silliness now, will you? It's... <laughs> Rachel, Mortal... I... Rachel, the, the I, fucking... I... Games? You don't like games. Rachel's no, not no. Rachel's not a gamer. Oh, it's confirmed. Fuck you. Now 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 listen now yumlings. Fuck you. Now now yumlings, if you if you had fuck. if you had the data of who plays video games longer you. in the hours of the day out of the two of us, it ain't it ain't me. It ain't me. Fuck you. Just Rachel plays one game, Stardew Valley, all fuck the time. You. On all devices. I play different games like Metal Gear. Fuck you. Fuck you. Metal Gear. All right, all right. See, see, Rachel, you think that kicked off the silliness? 
I shoved a microphone up my butt for this. <laughs> no, that was pretty I guess, silly. I didn't like that either. I didn't like that either. But that was just starting shenanigans. But now you... So you're saying you didn't like shoving the microphone up your butt. Wow. But you did it anyway. You for, asked so politely. I did. I was like, please, please shove it up there. Sheridan did it. And you're like, well, if Sheridan did it. <laughs> but he obviously didn't shove it up there enough because sitting down turned it on. It did make a squelch noise when he put it up there, which was very disconcerting. Yeah. Um, Lanier saved Londo, and th- that explosion scene was actually really haunting to see Lanier get fucked up like that. And oh, to- how he, he gets thrown into that glass. Uh, another great shot is uh, Londo and Delenn on the floor looking up at the doorway with all of the fire just shooting at it and them reacting. It, y- again, you can't replace this with CG. Real fire is intimidating, even on 90s TV. It's just, that, it also just, just shooting frames at it. something out in people. Like, there is something so primal about a huge fire. Yeah, shooting fire at your actors. That's why season four of Discovery was really great, because they decided that we should shoot fireballs on the Discovery bridge at the actors for some reason, and I adore it every single time that they did it. Uh, so we get to Lanier being in uh, with uh, in sickbay. Franklin is all, hey, he survived because he has a bone on his head. Don't you yeah. remember that? He has a bone uh, on his yeah, head. Thank you. We set that up early in the episode when we mentioned the bone on their head. So there you go. Uh, uh, but he's in a coma. He, We don't know what his deal is. Hopefully he'll survive. Uh, we know he will because he's in the opening credits and it's not the season finale yet. <laughs> That's when they usually leave to kill one of the main cast members. That uh, hammer in Strange New World. I, I said Babylon 5, not not this series. Hemmer, Hemmer wasn't also, Hemmer's not a, I mean, he's Kefir, so he could have been, but no, they saved him for the second last, just a twist, yeah. the knife. I just wanted oh, to Oh, spoiler alert for Strange New Worlds, by the way. I just wanted to throw that <laughs> under the bus, because it was shit. It was pretty shit. Uh, it was one of the worst decisions they made in the season. You know what's season. not shit? Londo's joke? Yeah. I laughed and laughed and laughed. It's great. Did it's you, even better the second time. Did you hear me laughing? Mm-hmm. You did? Yeah. I couldn't hear you. Maybe because we were laughing at the same time. You were, you were pretty loud. It, it, it's like magnets. It just cancels each other out, repels each other. That's what happens. Yes. <sighs> yes, that, that's definitely what happened. I I said it earlier, but the Londo Lanier stuff is really touching and gets to my emotions very much. I'm a sucker. It's so sad. Well, I'm a sucker for in movies and television. The the is there a specific name for it when you have the person who's in a coma or they're dying, and you have the person next to them, and they're like, "Did you just keep talking to them?" And hopefully, mm-hmm. their talking will bring them out of oh, it. There I'm has a... to be a name for that trope. I, I I fall for it pretty much every time. Yep, I'm a uh, that's my I'm weak to that trick. I I find it just 
it always tugs at my heartstrings. It always enraptures me, engages me, makes me think about if I was in that situation in either as either party. Uh, it really gets me going. But uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, it's just the sadness of Londo trying to connect with somebody who can't connect back because they're in a coma, but they're also somebody who because of his own actions, he's severed that connection with. And we hear that from Lanier at the very end, where Lanier doesn't feel good about having saved Londo. He worries that he's uh, he, he's tended to the present while endangering the future, because Londo is a war criminal. Londo is responsible for countless lives, the, the, the ending of countless lives. And it's a great little moral dilemma that you would have uh, there. I mean, how how about you? How are you with the Lanier side of things? It's wonderful. It's such a delicate tone that it has, but I really enjoy it. I don't know what else to say about it. I'm just like, I liked it. It was nice. Well, you had a lot to say about it when we were watching it in terms of how JMS takes the character of Lanier from this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had oh. a lot of words to say. Oh, Rachel's now slamming down her notes. She's ready to finally whip it out and be like, fuck you, JMS. This is Lanier. Not the fucking bullshit with Sheridan. This is Lanier. The bullshit in season five? Fuck that fucking bullshit. Whoa, I didn't realize Bill Moomy walked in the room and took the microphone out of Rachel's butt. <laughs> Just to say all of this, Bill, it's great to have you here. I love your work. This is Lanier. This shows who Lanier is. Because not only does he... He throws Delenn before himself. He blindly reaches for Londo. Mm-hmm. And then once he's thrown Londo, he doesn't launch himself across the threshold. He turns to make sure that nobody else was behind Londo and mm. within his reach. That's what Lanier is like. And even then, Londo points out that, he, you know, he, he stopped and he waited for me and tried to get, and he got me. Again, like, even Londo points out that Lanier's this great figure where he saved even me. Because Londo, in that moment, admits, like, yeah, I'm a fucking piece of shit. It. Yeah, he acknowledges that not everybody would have done that for him. One of the few moments where he's expressed openly disdain for himself in a in a manner uh you're right this is Lanier, and that's what makes it difficult because all of this stuff in the future with Lanier is also there you yes. can be a hero but you can also be a bad person in ways yeah. as well but and you... you can make one decision that betrays who you are yeah and that you have to live with those consequences but in a narrative it, yes Yes, and that can be a very interesting thing to explore, but it does not work for me with Lanier. Is this the major sticking point for you with that? If this wasn't here, him doing this, would you be more inclined 
Because this is such a memorable linear yes, moment. Yes, he saved is. a war criminal, and even after he did that, he is contemplating the ramifications of having done so. Yes. But he has. But he's satisfied because he's. It's still saving a life. Uh, Bill Mooney agrees. Londo's life isn't less sacred. Right. It is still alive. Sheridan is still alive. Mm. And he, that other ranger. And that other ranger. That's what I was going to get to. Mm. I don't. I still think that if it was Sheridan and that other ranger in that room, mm-hmm. no fucking way. Yeah. No fucking way would yeah. Lanier unquestionably leave both of them. No but, but, fucking but, but, way. But he regrets it and he tries to go back, but it's too he late. He does. It's too but, I can't do it. I look, And I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, like that. You do dumb shit. You do dumb shit. But also, Lanier has had his ranger training between now and then. So he has this religious upbringing. But now he's got a military training. And now he's got military training. But the argument JMS will make is he went into the ranges with uh, darkness in the his wrong heart. For the wrong reasons. And he went to it like Marcus in a lot of ways. Because he's trying to replicate Marcus as well. But Marcus also had negative tendencies and sacrifice. And it didn't work out, and didn't well work out for him. him look, look, I will say I'm still open to seeing that side of Lanier in the future. But this episode really does taint the water of me thinking it as as credible as JMS does. I just don't buy it. Bill Moomy makes the same argument here where it says like he's willing to save a war criminal. He does all of these amazing he does all of these things and Bill Moomy makes a very compelling case and this this moment is a giant thrust of that case and it is. It's just you watch this and you go, Oh, I can't believe that they take this guy and fuck him up in season five. And that's it. You always think they fuck him up in season five. Rather than, like, they give him this bittersweet ending. It's like, no, it just feels like, oh, and they fucked him up in season five because we've got to have drama. Oh, yeah. Like, his actual ending is just so weak. But even before the ending, what he gets up to in season five, you're like, I can't believe they're just fucking around with Lanier for the sake of it. But we'll get there when we get there. For this moment in time, Lanier is sacred and pure and is complex and... I, I, I adore it very much. Londo gets to have some fun telling jokes to somebody who can't hear it. And then the jokes do get heard by people. And then they try to retell the joke. Yeah. And then Lenia finishes it because he did hear it. That was very cute and adorable. And I had... Very, a- very JMS. Very JMS. So wholeheartedly JMS. How many Centauri does it take to screw in a light bulb? Not just one. But in the great old days... The great old days of the Republic, hundreds of servants would leap to change a thousand bulbs at your slightest whim. Heard it. Welcome back. Hmm. How do you feel? As though a great many heavy objects had fallen on me. Now, let's get to the real meat of the episode. We've had the bomber, we've had all of this, but really, it's about Londo and Jakar stuck in a lift. 
It's like every, it's like three scenes, but it's they're all great. Every frame, every line, every shot, I fucking adore the acting in this sequence. Like this sequence is utter perfection to me. This is like it's my baby. Mm. I fucking love it unconditionally. It, it it works because we know what it is. We know what it's supposed to be, I should say rather. We know it's supposed to be traditionally these two opposed will be now forced to work together to save each other and maybe they befriend one another or learn something about each other and grow. This is Picard stuck in the elevator with the kids. Yeah. Where Picard doesn't like children, but by the end he likes them now because they he went through this. He likes those kids now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's grown and he's he's matured and we're going to have that with Londo and Jakar, but then JMS says, no, that's stupid. Londo's a war criminal who's oppressed Jakar's people. You think sticking them in a lift together and making them try to escape as a little team would change when their hatred and change in... them? And, and like, you, you really think Jakar would want to do that? And I and agree, Londo it's pre- stupid. They don't do it, and I like that. Londo knows that Jakar is going to kill him. Oh, in the future? Yes, yes. But I, I, uh, you're right. All of this is perfect. All of this is, it's kind of hard to even give commentary on it because it's one of those where it speaks for itself. You will either find it amusing or you won't. I find it inherently amusing whenever we have Londo and Jakar together because they always have that old married couple bickering. I hate, I hate my life. I do too. Uh, And, and they just, those two actors were just born to play against each other. They are still probably the best chemistry within the show. And uh, every moment, the callback to season one with the little fishies song being here is... is and like that way that that's like the a, camera. Pa- a very quick panning yep. sort of shot. Mm-hmm. And he's singing, singing it in this very slow, melodic, menacing fashion. And still silly because it's a silly little song. And it's very amusing because we remember it if you're keen-eyed and a uh, viewer and you have good memory from season one when it was a funny little silly thing that Jakar did on his own when he was cooking. And now that they're cooking inside of this thing, he's singing the song about Londo. Yes! And, uh, Londo and me. One of the things I do know from behind the scenes is uh, JMS was a bit taken aback when he was kind of walking past the set at hearing laughter being done. The script isn't changed, but... Andreas Katsoulis decided to play it and they directed it in this fashion that we see here in which it's instead of being the traditional way that JMS was intending it where it's more grim and serious and more straightly played, Andreas plays it up in this mania and this hysterical laughter throughout all of it and 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 making these silly little voices and what a perfect choice that was. It makes it so vicious in a um, way. Yeah, he's a, it's gleefully vicious. This is definitely one of the times where Jakar is a gay icon. He's just <laughs> yeah! He just he just needs to be filing his nails in the corner and just making those kind of John Waters like John Waters type scathing comments at Londo and and we've got it. 
queer icon, gay icon, Jakar, love it, adore it. Every every single thing he says is done in this very catty fashion. It's it's Mm. very catty. It's like you're meant to be a lizard, not a cat, Jakar. Yeah, and you're a little marsupial man with a pouch. Uh, uh, As the humans say, up yours and die, up yours and die. I love that. I just, Jakar is in his element here, but... They bring it back down to reality as well, where he details why he's going to just let Londo die and why isn't he going to kill him himself. It's because, don't you remember the horrible things from last season that you helped implement? And why there is no fucking chance of them working together. Right? Because why would you work with that guy? No. No, you fuck fuck him. Fuck him. Fuck fuck Londo. Fuck Londo. (laughs) I, I, I love Peter Jurassic looking around, trying to figure out ways to get out and getting frustrated. And I just loved his acting where like he touches the door, touches the wall, it's hot, and then he realises how long he's been out and then he realises that Jakar left him near the well, hot he, wall. and then he's told. Just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Jakar doesn't hide it. No, doesn't no. pretend like he doesn't know. What I meant is he like it's more... He lets know how long yeah, and he then was he's sitting done nothing. there and he left him there. Next to the yeah 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 he finds that out but then he realizes then he puts together oh you just left me there and that door's extremely hot and it's like there could be a fire and we could die don't you there must be a fire for it to be that hot right and you you want to live yes but I'd rather see you die it's like oh great Londo's living his nightmare because you get that exchange between the two of them before he enters the lift where he oh just take another one because. That would be the ultimate nightmare, is to be stuck in a lift with Jakar. You don't know what he's going to do. You don't know how he's going to act. And uh, one of the fears you would have is... He's a shady motherfucker. But he's the embodiment of Londo's guilt. Because Londo feels guilt about all he's, yeah. he's done. And, and, and Jakar is the embodiment of all of the atrocities he's ever done. somewhat unconsciously links back to the Veer and Jakar scene in the lift. Right, yes. Of... But this one's really funny. Yes. This one's really, really funny. This one has a very different tone. The Veer one, time. not so funny. This one, very funny. And JMS, as, as messy as this script can be at times, where you have people shoving microphones up their butts and stuff like that, and you have... Uh, uh, like a mad bomber guy, pat yourself on the back for deciding to end this with them two still in the lift, but now they're being cut out and they're just making jabs at one another. Great way to end it. No, there's no better way to end it. <laughs> there's no better way to, to pan, like to zoom out and you see just how small they are and just how close they are and how tightly packed in and they're just still bitching at each other. And you know that this is just going to be them in the show. They have always been bitching at each other. They've always been at each other's throat. They've always been stuck together. And you know that this is going to continue in the future. There, you see. I'm going to live. So it was said. Well, it is an imperfect universe. Bastard. Monster. Fanatic. Murderer. You are insane! And that is why we'll win. I'll be the ambassador to Babylon 5, they say. It'll be an easy assignment. I hate my life. So do I. Shut up!
It's time for Spotlight. Not the Michael Keaton film Spotlight, but... (laughs) No, 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 no. That's a great film starring uh, uh, not just Michael Keaton, not just Michael Keaton, but other actors too. What other actors? I don't know, because they're not a part of our Spotlight, which is a section where we shine a light on an actor or an actress that appeared in this episode. And we talk about what we know them from, what we thought of them here, any interesting facts. You've heard it already, but we're going to be talking about the Mad Bomber himself, who is played by Patrick Kilpatrick. Yep. I can't believe that they named their child Patrick with a name that already has Patrick in it. Would you do that? Would you do that if you had a last name that can also, like a last name that has partially a first name in it, would you then name the kid's first name that? I don't know if I, I mean, I would do it as a joke, but... You would, you, you. Yeah, I would name my kid Major, if their middle name, and then their middle name Major. You know exactly what I was thinking. And then their last name Major. Yeah. And then you I'd ask would them be the, Major, and, Major, Major's dad. And then, yeah, <laughs> and you would be dead because you I would, would die, die by, from it. Die from laughter. Die from the that laughter. Is not how she no, dies. but you, you're different. You're different. You would find it funny. Fuck. So we're talking about Patrick, Kilpatrick, and he's our mad bomber. Okay. What did you think of him? Not a whole lot, to be honest. I've never really thought this much about this character. But he's giving a very high energy performance. He He ain't skimping you. He is going for it. And I'm like, uh, yeah, I get it. I get it. But there's so little of his character that I just don't give a shit. It's a tough thing, isn't it? Because he's doing a role that is, in a way, self-defeating. Because he has to play a crazy person. But a complaint I want to say is, he plays the crazy person too stereotypically. But also... How else is he supposed to play this guy? Because there are people that we know, like we've seen in the real world, that are just this crazy, that are just this far gone. That and he's in a life and death situation where he's got the 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 you know he's holding the trigger there and he's demanding all of this and he's panicking and he's sweating. How else is this guy supposed to play it? Yet at the same time, I think he's cartoony. I think it's one note. I don't find him scary. I don't find him wild and unpredictable. This isn't uh, Al Pacino in Dog Day Afternoon where he's wild and unpredictable, but we got to spend time with that character. So Al Pacino could give a really great performance and it's a whole film and it's Al Pacino. But yeah, I, 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 always, I, always, I always tense up at making a criticism of, char- of actors playing crazy people as saying, well, they're playing them like they're crazy because sometimes it's like that is like, I don't know how to articulate, but it's like sometimes when you watch a movie or show and they play and there's the crazy person, you go, yeah, they nailed it because they're they're playing like this unhinged madman who's completely untethered from reality. And then there's that other part of it where you go, yeah, but isn't it kind of, I don't know, generalizing insanity or madness or delusions and i don't know i just i'm like you i i haven't thought about him as much either as an antagonist 
But when he does come up in this episode, I always just go, look at this freak. And him, visually, he looks crazy. He's got these glasses, he's got the buzzed hair, he's sweating, he's wearing these overalls. And the way that we're introduced to him through the extreme close-up of... His eye. Eyes and the profile with a bit, like, through his glasses. Right, yeah. Very distinct shot again, going back. I think the directing is great in this episode. Yeah, and it's a reason why they cast this guy. He looks deranged. He has a very distinct, scary demeanor about him, and evidently it was supposed to do all of the legwork here, but honestly, I, I, I think the script needed more for him to do. I think there's a better way to implement this guy. Again, it's not a performance I hate, it's just one where it leaves me lacking overall, and it sounds like it's left you lacking as well. Yeah, I'm like, yep, yeah, it's all right. Hmm. Like, it's not bad. It's not good. I go back to the word serviceable. He is known for playing these types of characters, these one-off bad guys, these henchmen or insane so people. Many crime shows. Crime figures, evil, corrupt police. He plays a lot of psychopaths. Not always, but a lot. I mean... I've got a list of things that I know him from and many people may know him from. He was in Toxic Avenger, Remo Williams, Class of 1999. He has a brilliant quote about his time on that. So I'll give you his quote about him being in Class of 1999. He says, I still have pictures of me with my robot arm, and even I, who has died many times on film, consider being lynched by a forklift unique. And that comment says a lot where... He's the guy who gets killed or apprehended or captured or taken down a lot. That's how he has generated his career. And it's a part of it, I would say, as we know with actors, is their look. He just looks like a mean motherfucker. He looks like a crazy guy. He's in uh, 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 one of our uh, listeners and and guests, uh, Nick. He loves uh, Lois and Clark, as does his brother Pat. He was in that, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He was in The Stand, the TV miniseries. He was in Eraser with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Again, as a guy to apprehend and take down for Schwarzenegger to fuck up and all of that. He was in X-Files and Minority Report. Uh, again, Nick loves this show. Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He, Nick always says, oh man, I wish you guys were doing that show. I love the Sarah Connor Chronicles. He was in Chuck, even you love Chuck, and he and guess what he played, a bad guy. Would you be shocked to hear that? No, no. Um, to give this a connection to B five though, he was in uh, Star Trek. He did a couple of episodes of Voyager, but to connect it to Deep Space Nine for a moment, I mean to to Babylon Five with Deep Space Nine, he was in a Deep Space Nine episode that had Bill Mooney in it. Ah, mm-hmm. of course. And a big episode, that's a big episode. It's the one where, uh, I do believe it's the one where Nog loses his leg. So the siege of AR, I can't remember the exact numbers, but there's your uh, little connection. The guy, yeah, he's he, he's got a lot of work under his belt and he plays a lot of these type of roles where, you know, name a show, he was most likely in it as some bad guy. Yes. Charmed bad guy. Texas Walker Ranger, okay. he was in it, you know. So he was born in 1949. 
how old do you think he was when he did his first role? So he's got about 150 uh, credits. I know Toxic Avenger was his first film role, but he did TV before. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess he was in his 40s. 35. Really? Okay. Yeah, because he just has one credit on IMDb before Toxic Avenger, which is The Edge of Night. Oh, there you go. And he was in 14 episodes in 1984. Right. Which was the same year as Toxic, Toxic Avenger, mm-hmm. which is Troma's big film, I would say. Uh, if you're not familiar with Troma, they make uh, funny films. Uh, very low-end film, these these very gross sexual films. They, lots of people have come from there. Uh, obviously, James Gunn is a great example of somebody who came from Troma. He was a writer for them. And, uh, yeah, Toxic Avenger is their big flagship movie. So, so we mentioned that he was in DS9. Mm-hmm. And he was in some Voyager. Yes. It's in two episodes of Voyager. One really bad episode and one not too bad episode. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, there were some other things that I was like, oh, I might have seen him in this. I've seen that show. Dr. Quinn, medical woman. Medicine woman? Medicine woman. Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Because my mum watched that. Everybody's mum watched that. Everybody's mum watched that. I swear my mum watched that. Uh, <laughs> but I, ironically, of course, he was death in Charmed, right? He, he's in every like. I feel like this guy's also in everything, but no, also like I kind of wish he was in some other things. Like I, I, yeah. I, I wish that he was in Farscape. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, he wasn't in that. Okay, uh, he was also in an episode of Burn Notice. And the last one that I have noted down, because you stole the Chuck one from me. I did. Is the show Las Vegas. Okay. I'm not too familiar. I know of... No, I don't know that one. Really? You don't remember? Is that the one with James Caan? There was that show where James Caan ran a casino in Las Vegas. I can't remember if it was called Las Vegas but there is a show where James Caan is like the whole premise of the show is James Caan runs a casino and they solve crimes because it was that in that era where they yeah, solve crimes. I, I think it's the same, but I'm like not willing to confirm. But yet to... you are willing to judge me for not having Las Vegas on my list. No, no. I was like, oh, I thought you would remember this show because it was short-lived, but it was very highly promoted Mm. On TV. So, what is it about Vegas? Oh, 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 I got it. Here's the thing. We've got something new. And he's taking over the Montecito. Tom Selleck. Let's have some fun. Between an explosion, a heist, a hostage situation, and a guy flying out of a plane, it's going to be quite a first day. Anything can happen. The two-hour Las Vegas season premiere, Friday, September 28th. So you did some digging into the guy's life a bit. Now, I read on his IMDb that he was a journalist at one point. He worked for several big things, one of them being Playboy. And Time Magazine. No, no, no. Time Magazine's cool, but Playboy. And then he took a sabbatical from Time and took up playwriting. He also originally 
trained as a fucking teacher. <gasps> so you and he relate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, the guy has a lot of experience with military stuff and mm-hmm. guns. I don't know if he was in the military or the police, but his IMDb kind of references mm-hmm. that he works alongside such like things. He's done and... stuff with the LAPD. Yeah. So I was scrolling through his trivia as well as his bio, and I came across this fact, and I was like, yes, I wholeheartedly believe that fact. That fact does belong to somebody of this man's generation. Oh. Uh-huh. Which is in a one 18-month period, uh-huh. Kilpatrick did five films, five major studio films, mm-hmm. two independents, and 27 guest star spots on 18 different shows. Why? That man fucking works. Did he have some taxes to pay off? I don't fucking... <laughs> I'm like, okay, you you, you, you were in high demand. You and were in high demand, I guess. And he's a Broadway and off-Broadway actor. Again, a theatrical experience being used on this series. Yeah. And uh... he's still acting. He currently has four projects that are in post-production. I feel guilty because I've seen him in so many things like I just listed and I see his catalogue and I go, wow, this guy. But outside of B5, I don't remember him in any of these things. He doesn't stand out. That's why I didn't list like what he was in all these because I've seen them uh, all. Yeah. But I don't remember him particularly. But i doing a quick game. I'm like, oh, yeah, he's that guy. And here's the reason. He is a shapeshifter because yes. his hair and facial hair changes and he just mm. you know give him more hair give him less adaptable and i haven't heard his voice enough and things because sometimes mm. he's just like a guy just yeah. a silent guy but uh he's a he's a working guy he does all this stuff and he was in b5 and although i didn't love the character and i didn't i wasn't overwhelmed by his performance i think he did what was needed of him it wasn't anything exceptional. He got his ass kicked. He got thrown. I mean, he threw Sheridan through some glass. That was a great shot. That was like, yes, you spend money on that crystal glass. You spend money on that sand. Yeah, that and, sugar. and for some reason, the uh, the bomber he grew a full head of hair during that, and I, I, know, I, I thought, wow. I thought, wow, that was really nice that he did that for that one shot. Was yeah. that Kosh's magic at work again? Ooh. I don't know. Um, there is one other thing. There is one other thing that I want to note, which is I got super excited when I saw one of the things that was in post-production because I saw the name of it and I was like, oh, is it this thing? And, you know, I was disappointed when I went to actually look at it. It wasn't. It wasn't it, was it? No, it wasn't it. And What did you think he was in? No. So I saw that he was in a film coming out called The Ice Cream Man. Oh, you thought it was a Clint Howard-related film, Ice Cream Man? 
Oh, I knew that it wasn't a remake of that. You can't remake a, a classic. No, you can't touch that movie. You can't remake a classic. You can't touch that movie. Can't redo no, it. No, I thought that they were making an adaptation of the graphic novel slash Ice comic Man. book series. That'd be fun. Get Clint Howard back for that too, actually. He'd be great in that. There are, Unironically, there get are, him back for that. There are a number of films called The Ice Cream Man because they were just listed underneath. That's fair. That's fair. Like, oh, okay. it's, it's a popular title. Everybody loves ice cream. What would you rate this? Yum being bad and yum yum being good. That's our scale. It no half yums. Has its downsides, but it has perfect scenes in it too. Right. It has beautiful direction. It's a yum yum. Yum yum. I'm less charitable. I like it. I'm going to give it a yum. Yum. I don't think it's actually a bad episode, but it just isn't one that I'm on board with as fully. You just feel bad that we've been doling no, out the yum yum. No, I just it's 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 a weaker entry for me. It always yes, has been. For me, it, it's, it's not, not bad. A... It's weaker, definitely. Yeah, but at this point. This feels like a, a little bit of a pothole in the road for me when I know that we're going to be smooth sailing for quite some time to come. Like, looking at the list of the episodes coming up, we're going to have some pretty great ones in the future. But this one has always just kind of made me go, meh, meh. Excellent direction. Lifting up some okay material with some weird little choices that I don't understand, like the bomb expert guy being here. But that is what I'm giving it. I'm sorry if everyone's crying over it. Convictions. No, not convictions. what is that next episode? On the next Babylon 5. Next episode, we will be discussing episode 3 of season 2, A Day in the Strife. Oh, no. Anything can happen on the station. And just about everything does, as events ranging from freighter problems to non-intrigue to Veer's reassignment to a mysterious alien probe sweep through the station. I love that description. It just kept going. It's like, and to this, and, and to that, that, and to that, and to this, and that, and 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 this, and that. Oh, okay. A Day in the Strife. Make sure to give that episode a look over in the interim uh, of time between uh, uh, us discussing it. Uh, You can follow us on the social media of your choice at Yum Yum Podcast or Yum Yum Pod. We are always posting, always engaging, having a bit of a fun time on there, having a laugh, as the kids say, an LOL, as they like to TikTok about, which we are on. Uh, doing things there. All of this is in the description as well as our email, which is yumyumpod at gmail.com. If you want to talk to us more directly, uh, make sure to subscribe and follow us on whatever podcatcher you use. We're also on YouTube where we uh, post our episodes as well as some video content on there. Every once in a while, we've got some of the B5 trailers and TV spots. The the DVD menus are on there, thanks to us with the morphing menus. Uh, season 3 is my personal favorite morphing menu, although Season 2, close contender. I mean, it does have Talia turning into Kosh. What what wait what can out do that honestly, uh, but that is all we've got. If you haven't rated and reviewed us, I understand. Not every uh, 
platform allows a yum yum. They don't have the yum yum system, but if you could rate it highly on there, we would、uh, adore that very much. So, Jukar was here, Rachel. Yes. He said many things. Many things. Did, Some of which related to food. Some of them related to food. You know what I didn't hear from his mouth though. Good evening to you. How? Did, no. Yeah. He didn't say that. I can't believe he didn't say it. But you're right. He didn't say good evening to you. Ah, Mr. Cannibal. 